The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey everybody, I am Victoria Moran and I'm a Main Street Vegan and I am thrilled to death to be that because what that means is I get to live a real life in the real world, helping animals, feeling amazing and so inviting anybody who's just kind of looking at this way of life from the outside to come on in, get your feet wet or get your juice wet and uh, see what we've got going on here in the wonderful world of caring for animals and celebrating healthy living. We have a couple of amazing, well, three actually, three wonderful Canadians this week. I think this is our Canada month. Uh, last week, if you recall, uh, we had the lovely Elise Desaulniers from Quebec. And, and now we have three Ontario people who are doing amazing things. After the break, we will be meeting the incredible photojournalist Joanne MacArthur that I'm sure many of you saw in the documentary, um, The Ghosts in Our Machine. And right now, we are going to be talking about the food in our pantries with a couple of wonderful, wonderful gifted foodies who are also photographers. They're food photographers. And these are Lisa Pittman and Nicole Axworthy, authors of DIY Vegan, which is about using easy-to-find whole food ingredients to ramp up the flavors and nutrition and avoid prepared foods that could contain animal-based byproducts. 
So Lisa holds the Ross Chef Certificate from the Matthew Kenny Academy. Nicole has the Certificate in Plant-Based Nutrition from the T. Colin Campbell Foundation. Nicole did the food photography. Lisa did the styling in this absolutely beautiful book. And ladies, you know it is. I am something of a book snob. And the first thing I noticed after the gorgeous cover of DIY Vegan is the paper. It's just exquisite, heavy, (laughs) perfect paper that you just don't see so much anymore. I love it. Love your book. So happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, tell me, what was the um, conception? What caused you to want to do a book about do-it-yourselfing? I think for us, we've both been vegan for a long time, and we were amazed to see in the last few years as more and more people are thinking about veganism, the shift in the marketplace in terms of the products that are available. Um, And seeing that, we're also seeing that veganism is no longer as associated with health as it had been in the past, partly because we're eating a lot more processed food because it's now on the market where it wasn't before. And we really wanted to continue that uh, connection between veganism and health by making sure people had easy ways to create that food, to fill their pantries, fill their lives with wholesome, nourishing food that was void of any animal protein, animal products. I am so happy to hear that because I'm hearing so often, well, you know, we can't call ourselves vegan. We need to call ourselves plant-based so people will know we're healthy. And maybe I'm just so much of the old school that vegan still sounds healthy to me, although I understand that it doesn't always work out that way if somebody is uh, really focused on the foods that came out of a factory instead of out of their own kitchen. So you have this gorgeous book with very clear subtitle, more than 100 easy recipes to create an awesome plant-based pantry. So what is it in a do-it-yourself book that you're offering people who are so busy? I think what we're offering is um, simple recipes. A lot of the recipes that we have are ones that are pretty easy to prepare with really simple ingredients. And um, we offer a lot of tips and tricks. One thing that we did discover over the years of, of making our own stuff is um, is to make it a habit and to make it a routine. If you soak your almonds to make almond milk in the morning or or, or get your overnight oats ready to go for your morning breakfast, it makes things a lot easier. Um, and we, and those are some of the things that we share in the book. Just making it a habit, right? Like just get a routine together and then it's easy. Which is true for just about everything. Now your overnight oats are really taking on a life of their own. I saw somebody reposting that today. So tell us about overnight oats. Is that something we should all be looking at? Well, I think it's one of those things that you can, like, as you said, people need quick, easy ideas. These days, we're all incredibly busy. I think with overnight oats, you can prep it the night before. You can prep it for days in advance, actually, and just soak everything in your fridge in little jars. So when you get up in the morning, all you have to do is grab a spoon, and you've got a nourishing meal ready to go that's going to meet all of your needs for the next few hours, get you ready off to school, off to work, anything like that, and you're making sure that you're starting with whole foods. So when we talk about overnight oats, we're talking about a pretty much a basic muesli. So for people who are unfamiliar with this, do they only soak the oats? Do they soak them in water? Do they soak them in non-dairy milk? Do they also put in some nuts or some dried fruit? Or do you add that unsoaked in the morning? How do you do it? 
So it's, it's one of those recipes you really can play with, of course. So one of our favorite ways is to add things like chia to it as well to really amp up the nutrition. So you've got your oats in there. You've got chia in there. You can add nut butters or fruit. So sometimes you like to mash up some banana and put it, that in there too. And then you add the non-dairy milk to make it nice and creamy. So when the oats absorb that, you've got a really good creamy consistency. And then in the morning, you can add some crunchy nuts to the top and maybe some cut up fruit. Any other ways mm-hmm. that you like to add, Nicole? I like to add spices, pumpkin pie spice or cinnamon, lots of cinnamon, those types of things. You know, that is such an interesting thing. I forget about cinnamon when I'm doing oats. I always put cinnamon in my smoothie when I'm having a smoothie morning. I need to have a little post-it that says oats plus cinnamon. So (laughs) thanks for that tip. Now, I know you guys include a lot of gluten-free recipes. And sometimes I must say that when I meet somebody and they find out I'm I'm vegan, they'll often say, oh, my sister's gluten-free, like it's the same thing. So mm-hmm. I try to be nice, and I don't roll my eyes. I've learned not to do that. <laughs> and yet, there are a lot of gluten-free people. Why did you feel it was important to include this in your book? I think um, we did just basically so that there are options for everyone. Um, there's, a, there's a really a growing awareness for celiac, and also a lot of people who are going gluten-free for a variety of reasons or just avoiding wheat for a variety of reasons. So we just wanted to basically make sure that there were options for everyone. And you have done that and done it beautifully. So I know that in the process of writing a book, you think that you're going to put into it all the stuff that you already know, but in the process of writing, you make these incredible discoveries. So what did you guys discover as you wrote and did recipe testing for DIY vegan? You know, it's such a process, Victoria, as you know, who's written so many books and cookbooks as well, so recipes as well. I think, you know, it's sort of, you start with a list of things that you think you're going to create. And sometimes you find there's recipes that you thought would be spectacular and they're not. Uh, and then there's other recipes that, uh, through a lot of work, get to be your favorite. So I think for me, there was some things that, uh, there was one recipe, it was an energy bar, it's called the Awesome Energy Bars in there, that was, um, a, a, there was an idea that my partner, he had a, an energy bar he loved when he used to live in London, and he could never find anything like that, and I was like, I have to figure out the mystery and make that recipe work again, so that we could have it in our pantry here, and so I, I tested that one over and over and tried it out on everybody, and now it's one of my favorites. Nicole, do you have a favorite? A favorite recipe? Or a discovery like that? Oh, a discovery. Um, I think the fact that you can make so many things with such simple ingredients, I think, is was pretty amazing. Like, um, I think this was a big project for us in terms of coming up with 135 recipes and um, and just being able to create so many different things with, with simple plant foods. I think I also now, I make a lot more things that I didn't before. So just through the, the work of the book, like making all those flowers at home, there's like one ingredient and it takes 10 seconds to make it. So just making sure I do that and don't spend the extra money to buy coconut flour or almond flour, I can make it at home. And you always feel, I find when I do anything from scratch, every now and then, you know, I'll make ketchup or something. And honestly, I feel like, I don't know, I just baked whole grain bread for an entire army or something. It's like, uh, I did that. That's the ketchup. So it's a funny thing, but it does really give you this feeling of accomplishment. 
Absolutely. And it's something to be proud of, I think, in today's society, too. And a great thing to give as a gift is something you've made yourself. Now, one of the more intimidating culinary things that a person can be met with, I think, is a pie crust. I was never good at that, even back in the old pre-vegan days, and certainly not since, until I discovered the raw pie crusts, where you don't have to do all that cutting and rolling and things that tend to not work out. So I know you guys do pre-made pie crusts in this book. What, what do you do with those? Um, well, basically it's just a pie crust that you, you're using a food processor just to mix it together with the coconut oil. And then we have the option of, you can easily roll it out and then freeze it for later use. Um, or you can use it right away. And we also do have the option. We do have a recipe for the raw, raw crust using almonds and dates also. So you have both options in the book. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I might try the more conventional one one day when I'm ready to have that feeling of accomplishment. Now, I know that that some of the convenience foods, I mean, I talked about ketchup, and oh my goodness, as proud as it makes me whenever I do it, it's really easy. But what are some of the convenience foods that we're used to buying that really are kind of tricky to do yourself? So there's some recipes in the book that are a little more time consuming. And I would say certainly the vegan cheeses are. That was one of the things that we really worked on in the fermenting process. So some of them take multiple days and you have to plan ahead um, to do it. But the result, as you said, like it's an accomplishment. At the end of the day, when you've made your vegan cheese or at the end of the week, when you've made your vegan cheese and you're making your cheese platter to share with friends, like that's a big deal. And it's something to celebrate. Um, and you can make that routine, but you, it, it is one of those things where you are planning ahead, soaking your cashews, making sure you have time to ferment and then air dry it. So it creates a rind, like there's all that stuff to it. Uh, but I would say those are definitely the most involved recipes in the book. Most of them are things you can pull together in a couple of minutes. Oh, very cool. Oh, the idea of doing a cheese platter all on my own. Well, maybe when I retire, except as somebody told me once, old writers don't retire, they just die. Now, we are talking about DIY vegan, fabulous, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cook cookbook that you'll want for your kitchen and for your coffee table. And the things in here, I mean, lemon curd, caramel sauce, date paste. We talked about ketchup. How about mustard, yogurt, all these things that we either miss or think you have to get in the center of the grocery store. And it's so interesting. We're always told shop the, the, um, uh, ex, you know, the outside aisles of, of the grocery store. And yet, you know, when you want something like spices or, or chocolate syrup, you have to go to the middle, but if you can make some of that middle stuff yourself, that's so very cool. Now, I just want to ask you something quickly. I know our time is short, but you guys are very successful bloggers. And then you took the slight shift, the giant leap. <laughs> um, which was it to being authors? How, how is it different? And how are you feeling about both means of expression? I think I love the fact that um, we started out together doing a lot of blog um, sort of challenges and ebooks together and then this leap into a cookbook I feel like we sort of we have a wider reach um, just because it's getting out into the world and a lot more people are seeing it 
I love that you get to work with recipe testers and see the different palettes around the world, and that helps to shape your recipes as well. Like when you write a blog, you're really just making things in your own kitchen to share. When you take on a big project like this, you start to employ other people and other expertise to bring to it and see how that can shape the end product. It's very very interesting. interesting. In the whole publishing world, you know, we think about, oh gosh, well, why would anybody buy a cookbook? Because all you have to do is go online and put in lemon curd, vegan, and something will pop up. But there's just something very special about having your own lemon curd. <laughs> you know, with that page turned down or a bookmark in there. And it, it just, you know, it's something that you guys come up with and then other people adapt and adopt and it's the kind of thing you feel like you could pass on to your offspring. So final word on glorious DYI vegan eating. Just get in the kitchen, have some fun. And don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be intimidated. Does anything still intimidate you? Not at all. <laughs> We've done it all. we tried it all, that's for sure. I love it. And I guess don't be afraid of having a mess. Kitchens are very cleanable. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a beautiful book, really a, a, a great work, lots of very, very helpful, fun, and totally delicious recipes. We're going to put all this on the show notes over at MainStreetVegan.net, but just so that you know right now, their website is VeganCulinaryCrusade.com. On um, Facebook, you can uh, find A Dash of Compassion, and on Twitter, you can find Lisa at the vegan Lisa, and um, Nicole at a dash of vegan. But if you're out running, don't worry about remembering all that because we'll put it on the show notes. Go to MainStreetVegan.net, click on podcast, and you'll see show notes, and you'll have all that information at your leisure. Nicole, Lisa, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and this book is truly, truly beautiful. Thanks for putting more beauty in the world. It was a pleasure. Thank Thank you. Thanks, ladies. And now, as our Canadian crusade continues, right after the break, we will be back with Joanne MacArthur of We Animals. Stay with us. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? 
Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Oh, my gosh. When I'm talking to people who are so lively and wonderful and full of information, the time just goes so quickly. And I hope it feels like that for you, too. Want to just refer you to the Main Street Vegan blog this week. It's called Historic Heroes. That's a contribution from Reverend Russell Elvin. He's been on the show. Very, very cool uh, Unitarian minister, cancer survivor, major health coach, vegan lifestyle coach, great, great guy. And he's going to be talking about people from the past who really did something for animals. And today, we're going to be talking about someone in the right now present who is really doing something for animals. You know who this is. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad we finally got her. As she (laughs) gallivants around the world, she's actually talking to us from... I think it's Denmark. She'll tell us if that's wrong. And that is Joanne MacArthur. Joanne is a photojournalist. You saw her story in the beautiful documentary film that Liz Marshall did a couple of years ago, The Ghosts in Our Machine. Joanne has been photographing the plight of animals on all seven continents 
For about a dozen years now, she has received all kinds of awards, the Canadian Empathy Award, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's Top 50 Champions of Change, Farm Sanctuary's Friend of Farm Animals, HuffPost Women's Top 10 Women Trying to Change the World. Oh my gosh, we have to try hard, don't we? And she also won the Shining World Compassion Award. She comes from Toronto, but you know that, and she really is a citizen of the world and a hero for animals. Welcome, Joanne MacArthur. Hi, Victoria. So nice to hear you. Just, just Oh, you too. Well, thinking of you being in the world just makes me happy. And, and I also I forgot to say in your introduction that you have this incredible new project going on, the Unbound Project that celebrates and recognizes female animal activists. Let's just start with that. Why women? Why do we need recognition? Yeah, let's start with the most fun part of my (laughs) job and of my life these days. Absolutely. Um, Well, you know, as a photojournalist, um, an animal rights photojournalist, I've spent over a decade in the field photographing harrowing situations that we put animals in, all sorts of farming and testing and you name it. And, you know, I will continue to do that. But the Unbound Project came about while I was shooting the other stuff because I saw that it was always was often women who were running sanctuaries, um, spearheading initiatives, and um, doing a lot of the, you know, creating change and changing the world and uh, building and creating this animal rights movement. And there aren't a lot of, I don't think a lot of movements in the world that can say, wow, you know, it's, you know, 70 to 80% women who are doing this. And so my co-author and I, Carrie Cronin, uh, we thought this was worth celebrating and worth highlighting. And that's what we're doing. It's an epic five-year international project, and we will have a book at the end of it. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Well, it's, think- it's, a, it's a gift to myself as well, you know, after so much horrible, terrible work. Like I said, I'll continue to do it, but it's a really nice balance for me personally as well to be able to focus on inspiring women and change and, um, you know, showing what they're doing, not just showing bad that's happening in the world. Oh, that has got to be so important for you, Joanne, because I think the biggest question that comes up when I think of you and probably when everyone who knows your work thinks of you, how can you do it? You know, we, we know about the the guys that go undercover, that work in the factory farms, that work in the slaughterhouses. They're usually very young, all full of testosterone. They care about animals, but they also have that other aspect. It's the same thing that helps, I think, young men in particular really want to go into battle. And yet, there you mm. are. You're this lovely woman in your 30s. And you go into, you, you use the word harrowing. And I thought, yeah, harrowing situations that require a heroine is <laughs> you. How do you do it? That's the question everyone asks. And I think after all this time, I still don't really have an answer. But um, it's, you know, it's, I feel like it's a responsibility. I've always, you know, been the kind of person who's been in service. And I have wonderful family who instilled that in me. And so, you know, from a young age, I was volunteering and trying to help and trying to give. And 
Um, so I feel like it's a responsibility. And also when you're good at something, you can have longevity in that. And I often tell people, well, you know what I do. I take photos. Um, but what do you do and what do you love doing and what are your skills? And if you use those, you know, employ those skills, you will have longevity in the work that you're trying to do and the goals you're trying to achieve. And so the work is harrowing, but um, I know it's changing things. I mean, there's groups all over the world who are using my images, and they've been seen by millions of people now. So I know the work is is useful. Um, I know that I can stomach it uh, somehow. <laughs> and so I don't know. There's, there's no, like, magic key to it, but um, I think I just see the results, you know? And there, it's it's interesting. There are a lot more people who are getting into it and who want to do it. I mentor a lot of photographers and activists, and um, um, I mean that'll be difficult work to do in the U.S. And I actually don't do investigations in the U.S. But um, I mean, this sort of looking into things is is needed more and more. So I'm glad more and more people are doing it. This is so interesting when you said, what do you do well and and do that? I may have even mentioned last week, it seems whenever I'm reading a book, it's all I can talk about. But I'm reading this book uh, by Deepak Chopra, Reinventing the Body, Resurrecting the Soul, I think it's called, if I have my R words right. But he talks about the energy that we get from doing certain things. And I think when you're really doing what you came here to do, you get this incredible energy. And when you're trying to do something different, I've noticed since my daughter was in an accident and broke her collarbone, and I've gone over and tried to help her with, you know, cleaning and various things. The hardest thing for me is helping with the rescued squirrels because (laughs) I'm not used to the hands-on. I'm an animal person, but I don't usually, you know, stick my hands in where a squirrel might want to bite it. (laughs) It's just different. And I'm glad to have been stretched to do that. And I mean, the squirrel's just adorable and all that. I'm so happy that I had that opportunity. But the things that I know I can do, I know I can do. And I love that you know that you can do this because you do it incredibly, incredibly well. So tell us exactly what your work is in the world for someone who may not yet be familiar. Okay. Um, Well, I, I noticed long ago that I saw animals differently and I saw our relationship with them. Um, You know, I, I really took notice to, well, I'll give an example. I was hiking in Ecuador and there was a macaque monkey chained to a window and uh, people were stopping to take pictures because they thought it was funny and they thought it was cute. But I stopped to take pictures because I thought it was a problem and I wanted people to see, wow, look how this animal's being treated. And there I was in a, you know, surrounded by others and I thought, I actually think my, you know, my opinion on this is more important <laughs> than, than theirs. And I, I mean, I want people to know how I feel about this so that other people can see things the way I see things. And, you know, I, I started documenting, I started the We Animals Project. And that was 15 years ago. And, you know, I don't need to look far from home to see animal abuse. It's everywhere. It's at every meat market and zoo and circus. And, um, you know, there are issues everywhere. But I do travel long distances to document different stories, be it bear bile farming or um, macaque breeding facilities in Southeast Asia or hen farming in Australia. I mean, I'm all over the place. 
um, because I, I don't know, very driven and very curious and want to compare the industries so that people can't say, oh, well, that's, you know, not in my backyard or that happens elsewhere. So I'm, I'm very intent on showing how we treat animals worldwide. And, um, and that's also what's different about my photos. I mean, these aren't just portraits of animals and we often see that in the mainstream. That's what's acceptable to look at and what's enjoyable to us. But what I'm showing is, you know, not so much the animal, but the conditions in which we put the animal. And so really it's a reflection on us. The animal's photographs are a reflection on us and how we how we treat others and how that needs to change. Well, you do such an amazing job. You show the plight, but you also capture the spirit of, of these animals. How How does the journalistic documentarian part of you live with the activist part of you. I understand that you are doing far more good getting these photographs out into the world than rescuing a certain number of animals someplace and being locked up for 20 years. But some, how, some people would disagree, but thank you. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> how, how do you not sometimes just want to pull open that door regardless of what would transpire after that. Well, I mean, I would never talk about that anyway, right? Um, you know, if there, if there are animals that I can't help or, or want to help. Um, but it's, I mean, yeah, for, I mean, for the most part, I've met hundreds of thousands of animals at this point. I mean, at some farms I'm on, I'll spend six or seven hours and there'll be 100,000 birds or uh, 40,000 mink. And it's uh, terribly painful to have to just document and leave. And, you know, I have to remind myself that I'm not helping these animals. I'm helping future generations of animals, hopefully, you know, by keeping them out of those places and educating people. Um, you and, are. And, you know, like about the photojournalist versus activist, that's a whole topic unto itself because photojournalists who are supposedly objective, which, you know, as an activist, you can't be quote unquote, um, they will get published more. And so it's, um, it has helped me in some ways. Um, and my work has gone so far as far as it can, I think as an animal rights journalist, but you know, it gets to a point and that point is now where I need to, you know, stop saying I'm an animal rights photojournalist and become just the journalist again who, whether or not I'm an activist or not, I need to present as, um, as you know, a more objective journalist to get my work farther. Absolutely. Yeah. So- <laughs> it's an interesting place to be. Um, you know, I, I can call it rebranding. Um, I'm not quite sure what it is, actually. <laughs> I think one of the most poignant parts of The Ghosts in Our Machine, which for anyone who has not seen this amazing documentary, do see it, it's about Joanne, and it's about her work. And so many people say, oh, gosh, it, it, it's probably all gory. You know, there are a few images that are very sad, but the story is so compelling You'll want to keep watching. And I'm telling you this as somebody who, who does not like to see animal suffering at all. But this is a beautiful, beautiful film. But in one part, you're in, I believe it's your agent's office in New York City. Oh, dear. Yeah. Incredible photographs. 
And they're kind of giving you a little bit of a runaround. Tell us about that scene and about what you run into in general as you get your, your photographs published and not published out in the world. Well, I'm not sure if they're giving me the runarounds. I mean, you know, they, they took me on because they like my images and they think they're strong. Um, but they are just being honest when they're saying we don't see a home for them. Because, you know, whether it's the New York Times or smaller, smaller publications, they have, um, they don't want to lose an audience. They don't want to alienate advertisers. Uh, there's a lot at stake. And, um, I think, you know, they're, they're being straight with me, but it's frustrating. I actually feel terrible for them because I give away all my photos for free. Like, why did, why did I agree to, you know, work with them when they keep wanting an exclusive from me? And I'm like, oh, sorry. I mean, these images are for HSI or they're for animal equality and you get second dibs. So I can't believe they haven't fired me yet, actually. And I'm sure it's more difficult now anyway. There used to be so much print and and now there is less of that. Of course, there are other opportunities elsewhere. So explain to us, and for these people that you're talking about who are photographers who aspire to do what you do, just start from the nitty-gritty. What do you do first, and then what do you do? Uh, the steps in taking the photos, you know, from, well, uh, months of planning. Actually, I love that you asked this question um, because... People just, you know, look at images quickly and share them freely. And, you know, I've even been called nasty, nasty names for, you know, making money off of my images, my animal images. I mean, heaven forbid, right? Um, because, you know, it's animal rights and so they should be for free, etc. But, okay, so back to your question. Um, months of planning go into an investigation and working with different groups, um, raising money for the travel costs and all the costs on the ground and um, editing. Editing takes a really long time, writing, taking notes every day, getting the notes in order so that you have a cohesive story. And um, if you are a really good business person and focused, you will then start trying to publish your story but uh, I mean I do that but I what my one of my downfalls is that I, I'm always saying yes to the next project too soon because I'm always very excited to be working on new projects with new people and new groups so I should definitely give more time to the syndicating of images um, but I have help with that you know because my images are used freely and widely by organizations uh, they're often doing the legwork but you know to the photographers out there listening um, these things take a long time. I mean, it took me over 15 years to, you know, to be known as a photographer and to have my images used and trusted and um, being a, a reliable source to, um, to organizations. And I think a lot of people want to just get published, you know, big time right away and there's no patience. But, I mean, hard work, if, if you really believe in what you're doing, I mean, it goes for anything, doesn't it? Not just photography. I mean, you need to put in a lot of hours and, um, and build up your credibility. And uh, so that's a big one for the photographers out there. You have to – I mean, I, I took really, really bad pictures for the first 10 years of my career for sure. <laughs> So people who think they're going to start and like, you know, be really great after one year, you, you can't think that way and you have to have a lot of patience. Mm, that's so interesting. I was talking with another writer about 
what is going to happen to really great writing because writers don't get paid anymore online, certainly almost never. And everybody is a terrible writer in the first draft. Shakespeare was probably awful in the first draft. Oh, there's a lot to all of this. So when you have images of of animals and, and animal exploitation, which are the kinds that the mainstream is more willing to publish and what will they just not touch? Well, you know, luckily we're seeing that change, first of all. So that's an important thing to note, first and foremost. We're seeing the big publications do stories on um, slaughterhouses and factory farming and climate change and environmental factors. And I find that they will skirt the animal rights issue. They'll touch on it. But, um, you know, a slaughterhouse story might be more about the workers than the animals. Uh, factory farming might be more about environmental uh, angles and climate change angles than the animals. Um, but I think it's time for us to exploit that. And, you know, if it's going to take a publication wanting to do an environmental story to get your message out about animal rights, I mean, get it in there. Um you know, I, I'm constantly disappointed that people don't just want to do an animal rights story. But at this point, I'm using all angles. And I mean, I care about all angles. I care about human rights stories. I care about environmental stories. So I think, you know, I need to, I need to and I do spread my wings where this is concerned and that we all need to as well. Um, and, um, yeah. It's interesting to me that I think it's because people really do love animals. I think that the the look of any being with those eyes and <laughs> every species, human mm. included, you know, we just have these eyes that, that tell so much. And I think that when people are inadvertently participating in the exploitation, it's just very, very hard to look at those images for them, not because they're not good people, but because they are and they'd really like to be helping. Exactly. People are good. And that's why these things are, are difficult for us. I firmly believe that we don't want to see because we're compassionate, not, not because we're jerks. And um, we have a lot to give up. At least we think we do. You know, we think, oh, I'm going to have to give up all those tastes that I like. But, I mean, you're gaining far more than you're giving up when you're, you know, eating compassionately and living compassionately. And, you know, as for which animals we will look at and which animals we won't, um, you know, over the years doing this work, I realized that, uh, or I, I, the animals that I photograph, I put them in this category called the invisibles. We're very accustomed to looking at this first category I call, you know, pets and companion animals. We see them everywhere. We live with them. We share our homes and even our bed and our food with them. And it's totally acceptable to look at their images and and so on and so forth. And then the second category is the wildlife that, you know, we revere them for their beauty and they're on the cover of National Geographic. And that's all very acceptable as well. And there's this huge category of billions of animals we use every single day. And they are the ones that, you know, it terrifies us to look at They're the animals we eat and test on, et cetera, et cetera. But to look at them is to look at ourselves. And that's what we animals is about. It's, you know, turning the lens inward and, um, and making us question, you know, our, uh, you know, our materialistic lifestyles and, and, and what we eat and who we eat. And so it's challenging. Like I understand that my images are, are asking a lot of the audience, 
And I just hope that with all the efforts in animal rights and animal advocacy moving forward, we can get all of us just to look a little bit more, a little bit at a time. Mm. And uh, one of the things I say with my images is, you know, I could ask all sorts of things of us and put all sorts of go vegans and go this and do this and stop that. But the line that I often use with my images is simply, please don't look away. And the please is important. And it's not a big ask to say, please don't look away. And I I often just leave my viewers with that. And your photographs are so beautiful that even the disturbing ones, um, it's it's very hard to look away. So I do just want to share with the listeners, we animals, in addition to this multi-year project of, of Joanne MacArthur, is a beautiful, beautiful book from Lantern Books, it's on my coffee table. Every time people come over, everybody gets to see this incredible. Is he what sort of primate is your cover image? That's Ron. He's a chimpanzee. Okay, he's a chimpanzee. What what a person. I mean, it's just it's something that people always want to pick up. And I think sometimes as vegans or as animal people, we don't know what to say. We don't want to just walk up to somebody and say, hello, do you know how much exploitation goes on? But here's this lovely book, and people are drawn to it. So please, please, if you haven't treated yourself to we animals, do that. Now, Joanne, I'm, I'm going to get in your business and ask you a question. <laughs> What's your life like? Is Have you completely devoted yourself? Are you like an animal rights nun? Or do you have, you know, a life too? How does that work for you? My life is very different from other people. And I think one of the main components of it is just missing people. Whether I'm away, you know, I'm missing home, I'm missing family. Or if I'm home, I'm missing all of the wonderful families I have around the world, the people who have taken me in and have treated me so kindly and opened so many doors for me and my work. So, um, and the thing is, you know, I love being solitary and I love working on my own and I love solitude and quietness and, um, that's what my life is like. But I mean, I'm, I'm always on the road and it's exhausting and I'm afraid of flying, even though I do it like every two weeks. Um, so, (laughs) but, um, it's so, it's so rewarding. Like I, like I said, I have families everywhere and I have so much joy, um, in, in the people I meet and the animals I meet and the small victories, um, you know, I carry all of those with me. And I carry all the animals, not all, but like a lot of the animals that I've met, I carry them in my heart and I work, I work for them. They're my clients. And um, I mean, I, I like being, I like being this um, focused and, and dedicated to my work. And, and I, I, have a nice, I, have, I have a nice boyfriend too. That's what oh, I'm good. in <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Somebody just uh, sent an email about an event coming up, and it's something about, you know, balancing work and family. And it's like, you know, that is an old concept, but it's very hard to apply it when you have a passion. And and sometimes that passion is definitely home and children and that sort of thing at one phase of life. But if you get a kind of passion like you have then that's the passion. And I kind of think of balance as something that we do over a lifetime, not necessarily over a day or a week. 
And when you're trying to save the world or some very worthy creatures of the world, it's a big deal. So tell us what you're seeing around the world, Joanne. You talked about small victories. Give us a victory to be happy about. What's getting better? Hmm. Initiatives in the U.S. to get chimpanzees out of labs, finally. And... Um, sanctuary, well, zoo reform. I'm really enjoying seeing zoos being, you know, held more accountable and reforming to take on more of a sanctuary model. We're seeing that. We're seeing veganism everywhere. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to you from Copenhagen where it's like everywhere. It's in every store. I mean, it's like that in the U.S. as well. Um, and, you know, in, in some of the big growing economies like India and China, that's tough because, Meat eating is on the rise, and factory farming is on the rise, but so is vegetarianism. So that's interesting. And youth everywhere are so motivated. I mean, they know the dire straits that we're in. And so I feel like everywhere I go, I'm seeing really, really impassioned youth, and it fills me with so much joy. And part of my work is uh, is as a humane educator. I'm in schools quite regularly. And uh, these kids are so smart, and they know what's going on, and they care, and they're being taught to care in a way that other generations weren't. They they know they have to fix things, and I'm seeing a lot of great, great youth fixing things and caring. Oh, that's exciting, because that means it's really going to happen. Yay! If it has to. (laughs) On the other hand, the the beautiful image on the um, homepage of of the Unbound Project, your your work about the female activists, unboundproject.org, and all these uh, URLs will be at uh, the MainStreetVegan.net podcast show notes. But it's the most exquisite photograph of the hand of a small primate. I don't know if he or she is a chimp or some other being. That's right, a chimp. And, and the hand of an elder human. And in a society that overlooks many animals and also overlooks people in their later years, this is one of the most powerful photographs I've ever seen. I love your analysis of it. I don't know that I can add much to it. Um, but the context is that this is a chimpanzee sanctuary in Uganda, and uh, these are animals rescued from poaching and from the bushmeat trade and from entertainment. And the woman is a, a volunteer. I believe she was in her 80s at the time, and her name is Aura. And she had been traveling from the U.S. to Uganda for many months a year just to volunteer. For, and she'd been doing that for decades and uh, she was so well liked and respected at that sanctuary. And there she was, just in that brief moment, you know, connecting and holding hands. Mm. And uh, that's what we need to do. We need, you oh. know, we literally need to reach out to animals, if not phys- physically. Well, with everything else that we have, there there is nothing like it. I was at a sanctuary for New World primates. And this one little guy seemed very interested in me, and he kept putting his hand out. And I said to the woman who was giving me the tour, may I you know, touch him? She said, well, you're not supposed to, but I could turn around. <laughs> and she did. And I held hands with this little guy. And I literally, it just felt like that Michelangelo, you know, Adam and God. <laughs> yeah. Painting. 
it, this connection, you must just feel that your your circle of friends has so many species. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, you're gonna make me cry. I mean, yeah, that's really nicely said, and and I've had many beautiful connections. So you've experienced it, and you know what it's like to you know connect or be accepted by these animals we've we've injured so much, and yet they turn around and they want to hold our hands. I mean, for me, when I'm in a situation like that, it just you know fortifies everything that I do and everything that I believe in. There was one time I was, um, I mean, it's a, the short story is that um, a bear from a bear bile farm grabbed me. He was just playing. Uh, he'd been tortured his whole life, and he'd also had his, his paws cut off for bear oh. paw soup. And oh. despite, despite this, he preferred to be with the humans than with the bears. And he grabbed me because I was too close. But, you know, in that brief instant, I was in this bear hug. I was being held by his stumps. And he could have bitten me and he could have hurt me, but he was just playing because he liked humans. And so, you know, I've had all sorts of incredible experiences like that that, you know, remind me that I will and need to and want to do this work for them for the rest of my life. Well, nobody is doing it better, I have to say. <laughs> so you can find Joanne at weanimals.org at humaneeducation.ca, at unboundproject.org. That's the one with the great photograph. Go there first. She's also on Twitter and Instagram at WeAnimals and on Facebook at WeAnimals. And that's also the name of the book, the film, The Ghosts in Our Machine. Oh, Joanne, what should (laughs) we do to help you and the animals? What is the one thing that our listeners can do to make the world the one you want to see? Mm, I think we just have to know that each one of us makes a difference. And, you know, it's a bit cliche, but it's so true. If we believe that we can make a difference and, you know, whether it's just reducing um, the number of animals we eat, I mean, there are easy things, there are hard things we can do, but as long as we're doing something and, you know, uh, one drop in the ocean is one drop, but if we're all putting in one drop, the world's going to change and it's going to change quickly. And so, I mean, it hurts to care. Um, but if we can, you know, all care a little bit and just be vulnerable and support each other in that, then things are going to change quickly. Mm, yes. And I think that's one of the things that we get from your work because even though in your wonderful book, We Animals, there's a lot of, of writing as well. You know, you say some wonderful things, but with the images, it seems to bypass a, a part of the brain that, that likes to pull things apart and find arguments. It just goes straight to the heart. And that seems to be where the change can happen quickly. Joanne, bless your heart. Bless your work. Thank you so much for spending this time with us from way over there in Copenhagen. (laughs) Everybody else, next week, please join us. We will have Jasmine Singer of Our Hen House. She has a brand new memoir called Always Too Much and Never Enough. Everybody, thanks so much for being part of the Main Street Vegan program today. God bless you and eat your veggies. 
Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To paraphrase Einstein, I can't solve a problem at the level of the problem. The world's great religions tell us to treat others as we would like to be treated. Remembering that thought makes it a little easier for me to become a peacemaker, a bringer of love when conflict appears. When I choose to be a peacemaker, a loving response or sometimes silence replaces the snappy comeback to an unkind statement directed my way. The momentary satisfaction of winning an argument gives way to the deeper satisfaction of helping to create a more peaceful world, a world where destructive conflict no longer has a place. Peace really can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. What if you were intentional about your life? committed to having more energy and being more vibrant. Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? 
Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.